Chapter thirty one of the Ordeal of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Natalie Paula. Chapter thirty one of the Ordeal of Elizabeth by Anonymous. Mrs. Bobby regained her carriage, and consulting her engagement book, she ordered her coachman to drive her to the house of one of her friends, whose day at home it was. It was a sudden resolution she had gone about very little that winter since she had no longer the incentive of chaperoning elizabeth and had not paid a visit for weeks on the plea of mourning for an uncle but now she set her teeth and said to herself that she must mingle with the world to find out if possible what the world was saying was it fancy or did she distinguish as she stood in the hall of mrs van alden's house leaving cards amidst the hum of voices in the drawing-room words that bore upon her own fevered anxiety shocking affair and she is really involved in it surely she had heard those sentences and then the conversation ceased abruptly as the butler drew aside the portiere and she stood for a moment on the threshold her eyes were bright her head erect she glanced around taking mental stock as if it were of the company five or six women were seated about a blazing wood fire with an air unusual at functions of this kind having come to stay and of forming or this again might have been her fancy a sort of council of justice there was mrs lansdowne to whose ball elizabeth had not been invited and there was sybil hardington and one or two others who knew mrs bobby and did not as it happened love her very much enemies she thought drawing her breath sharply and discussing elizabeth and me it's the same thing i'm sure i feel if it were i under suspicion elnir van antwerp had certainly never known such a feeling before but her bearing had never been more instinct with the nonchalant confidence of a woman who seems absolutely unconscious of her position for the reason it has never been questioned i seem to have interrupted the conversation she observed lightly after she had been rather nervously greeted and kissed by her hostess and had taken her place in the circle someone was telling a very interesting story i caught fragments of it as i came in she glanced her eye around the group it was you kitty i think she said won't you please begin the story over again and tell it for my benefit kitty thus appealed to colored and bit her lip oh the story isn't really worth repeating she said hastily she had no wish to offend mrs van antwerp and was heartily wishing that she had not spoken so loud sybil hardington helped her out by observing with her placid smile it's a story about a friend of yours my dear eleanor so kitty's afraid to tell it about a friend of mine said mrs bobby as she opened her eyes very wide then there's all the more reason she said decidedly why i should hear it her glance challenged the group but no one spoke and at last the hostess interposed my dear eleanor i am sorry you should have heard anything about it we were only talking about poor elizabeth van vorst and regretting that there is all this unfortunate gossip about her for my part i don't believe there is a word of truth in what they say but it is certainly uncomfortable it makes it hard to know what to do said mrs lansdowne a woman with a deep bass voice and an air of being not so much indifferent to as unconscious of other people's feelings i couldn't for instance ask miss van vorst to my ball while there are these queer rumours about her i was sorry to leave out any friend of yours mrs van antwerp but if a young woman gets herself talked about no matter how or why i can't encourage her it's against my principles let the girl behave herself i say and keep out of the papers i'm sure that's simple enough it's not always so simple said mrs bobby and though the indignant colour had rushed into her cheeks her tone was seraphic 
not so simple for every one as it is for your daughters mrs lansdowne a subdued smile as she spoke went the round of the circle unfortunately mrs lansdowne was not quick in her perceptions no it's true she admitted my daughters have had unusual advantages i can't expect every one to come up to the same standard but one has to draw the line somewhere and when a girl has done such queer things as miss van vorst there seems nothing for it but to drop her but what what has poor elizabeth done asked mrs bobby with eyes of innocent wonder and again there followed an awkward silence well you know eleanor they tell very queer stories the hostess said at last depreciatingly i never pay attention to gossip but these things are sometimes forced upon one haven't you seen that thing in scandal i don't said mrs bobby unmoved read scandal mary and chit-chat chimed in someone else there was a long paragraph in chit-chat it seems that she was mixed up in some way with that dreadful poisoning case they say that she was actually married to that young hollock at the same time she was engaged to julian gerard said mrs harrington with her calm smile it's no wonder that he poor man when he found out got out of the affair as best he could mrs bobby looked steadily at the speaker as a friend of mr gerard sibyl she said i can state on his authority that the engagement was broken by miss van vorst sibyl harrington's calm faintly amused smile again rippled across her face i never doubted my dear eleanor she said that mr gerard is a gentleman the entrance of another visitor at that moment was not altogether unwelcome to mrs bobby who felt that she was being worsted but the newcomer immediately continued the same subject i had just been hearing the most extraordinary news she exclaimed sitting on the edge of her chair and too much excited to notice mrs bobby's presence i heard it at luncheon they said that elizabeth van vorst but here the speaker suddenly caught sight of mrs bobby and stopped short well what do they say said mrs bobby with a rather bitter smile don't keep us in suspense miss dare and above all don't mind my feelings i'd rather know the worst of this well i don't believe there is any truth in it they say that she's really seriously implicated in that dreadful poisoning case and that the police have letters she wrote to hollock and all sorts of unpleasant things but of course it's impossible a girl like that whom we all know do we said mrs hardington softly do you think that we any of us know much about her you didn't eleanor did you turning to mrs bobby you just took her up in that charming impulsive way of yours didn't you because people in the neighborhood didn't have much to do with her and you felt sorry for her mrs bobby made a scornful little gesture you flatter me sybil she said i'm afraid i'm not so charitable as all that i took up elizabeth van vorst as you say because i liked her and for no other reason it was for my own pleasure entirely that i asked her to stay with me and i have never regretted it mrs hardington gave a barely perceptible shrug of the shoulders i congratulate you she said it was a rash action some people thought at the time a girl whom you so slightly whose mother was such an impossible person or at least so they say i don't of course she went on her soft drawling tones know much about it myself but it does make all this gossip seem less extraordinary doesn't it why yes of course that accounts for it said mrs lansdowne looking relieved that sort of thing runs in families a girl is a queer mother sure to be queer herself and get herself talked about i never thought her very good style someone who had not yet spoken now found courage to observe her hair is so conspicuous i never could understand why men seemed to admire her 
Mrs. Harrington raised her eyebrows. Ah, the men, she said with serene scorn. She is exactly the sort of girl who would appeal to men. Mrs. Bobby felt that she had stayed as long as the limit of human endurance could permit. She rose to her feet, her cheeks were flushed, her eyes brilliant. Her voice rang out with crystal clearness. It's hardly necessary for me to tell you, she said, that Elizabeth Van Vorst is my most intimate friend. I love her very dearly and always shall. What her mother might have been is no affair of mine. But as for the men liking her, she turned suddenly to Mrs. Hardington. They do like her, Sybil, and I think they show good taste. But if you mean the inference you seem to draw from that, she paused and drew her breath quickly, why, it's not very flattering, I think, to either men or women. Mrs. Hardington gave a short little laugh. My dear, I'm not drawing inferences one way or another. I'm merely stating a fact. Complimentary, one might think, to your protege. But you take things so seriously. She drew herself up with an air of some annoyance. Mrs. Bobby's hands were tightly locked together inside her muff. She faced the group appealingly. Her dark eyes wandered from one to the other. Certainly I take this thing seriously, she said, and there was a thrill of earnestness in her voice which moved more than one of her hearers. It's no light matter for me to hear my friend spoken of like this. I had Elizabeth Van Vorst with me all last winter. I feel as if I know her like my own sister. I believe in her implicitly, no matter what anyone might say. And if, if some of you, instinctively her eyes flashed upon one or two whom she felt she was carrying with her, if you would try to think the best and give her the benefit of the doubt, show that women can stand by one another sometimes, her voice faltered, and she broke off suddenly. There were tears glistening in her eyes as she held out her hand to her hostess. Forgive me, Mary, she said. I don't want to make a scene, but I can't help feeling strongly, and in this case I want everyone to know exactly how I feel. And with that she left the room, quickly before anyone could speak, yet conscious as she went of a subtle wave of sympathy which seemed to have made itself felt since her entrance. But it's useless, useless, she said sadly to her husband when she got home. You may as well try to stop the course of a torrent as fight against the world's disapproval when it is once roused against any poor defenseless girl. It isn't if she were a great personage, or even if she were still aged to Julian. They've nothing to gain by standing by her. Yet there are one or two, I think, even of those women this afternoon who felt with me, and at least... She consoled herself a little. At least they shall see that she has friends. She'll need them, poor girl. The inquest, I just heard, is coming off next week. He took up a paper knife and played with it, while he stole a furtive glance at his wife. I think you'd better prepare Elizabeth, he said. Prepare her, she repeated anxiously as he paused. For some confoundedly unpleasant questions, yes. Have you the strength to tell her? His eyes questioned her anxiously. She was white to the lips, but she met them without flinching. One can always find strength. It's confoundedly hard, I know. Bobby began to pace up and down helplessly. You don't know how I hate to have you mixed up with all this, Eleanor, he said. I'd give anything to have you out of it. Wouldn't it be better for you to go abroad for a while? And desert Elizabeth? My dear Bobby, you wouldn't have me do that? Well, you can't help her, you know, he urged. I can show that I believe in her, and thank heaven social position does count for something. It may help me to fight Elizabeth's battles. It doesn't count for much, unfortunately, before the law. Not theoretically, no, said his wife skeptically, but practically it counts with everyone and everywhere. By the way, she added, struck with a sudden idea, what sort of man is the district attorney? 
I might ask him to dinner. She looked prepared to send the invitation on the spot. My dear Elner, I'm afraid it's too late for that now. The thing to do now, since matters have gone so far, is to prove Elizabeth's innocence, and for that the first step is to prepare her, so that she won't be taken unawares. Her aunts, too. They must be told, I suppose, poor things. I believe it will kill them. People don't die so easily. It would be more merciful, I sometimes think, if they did. She sat and thought for a moment. I think I'd better go there at once, she said, at last, nervously. I couldn't sleep tonight with this hanging over my head. And so, for the second time that day, she drove to the Van Vorst apartment, feeling her unexpected appearance in itself must prepare them for some calamity. And indeed, the telling proved easier than she feared. She saw Elizabeth alone, and sat holding the girl's hand, trying by many tender circumlocutions to break the force of the blow. But Elizabeth understood almost immediately. They think I sent the poison? Is that it? She said, going at once to the point which her friend was approaching so carefully. Well, that isn't so strange. Sometimes I feel, she added wearily and putting her hand to her head, as if I'd done it myself. I think I, I might have done it. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, what do you mean? Because I wished it, you know, Elizabeth went on to explain quite calmly. I was married to him, and I wished that he might die, so that no one would ever know it. I didn't tell anyone but Julian. I wouldn't have told him if I could have helped it. That was the reason he gave me up because I told him that I had been secretly married all the time. He was angry because I hadn't told him before. But, interrupted Mrs. Bobby, with intense anxiety, you did tell him at last? Yes, of course I told him, said Elizabeth in surprise. I told him New Year's Eve. Why else should he have given me up? Then, cried Mrs. Bobby, rising to her feet in excitement, that seems to me an unanswerable argument. If you had expected Paul Halleck's death, you certainly wouldn't have told Julian Gerard of your marriage. That's clear as daylight. Oh, Elizabeth, how fortunate you told him. Fortunate, said Elizabeth listlessly. I don't see that it is very fortunate, since he has given me up and will never forgive me. It may save you. Elizabeth looked at her blankly. Oh, my dear child, cried Mrs. Bobby, don't you understand that they suspect you of of the murder you don't mean that they would put me in prison mrs bobby only answered by her silence elizabeth sat staring at her for a moment then the color rushed to her white face her eyes flashed how would they dare do that she cried when i am innocent of course you are said mrs bobby no one but a fool would think otherwise and we will prove it never fear but you mustn't talk any more of this morbid nonsense about being guilty of his death and all that. I know you mean well enough, but the general public doesn't understand such psychological subtleties. And besides, it's not true. The guilty person had no thought of doing you a service. Be sure of that. Paul Hollick would have died, my dear, if you had never known him. And now keep up a brave heart, Elizabeth. Your friends will stand by you, and when all this is over happily over you will look back upon it as a bad dream nothing more mrs bobby had almost talked herself into feeling the confidence she expressed but elizabeth listened languidly with drooping head all color had faded again from her face it looked haggard worn her hands plucked nervously at some fringe on her gown when she wiped her eyes at the last words the smile she conjured up was piteous it's a dream she murmured that is lasting a terribly long time End of chapter 31